Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to you in the overflow. Welcome, guys. I appreciate your participating in worship today. Uh, Perry, Oklahoma, Pastor Brian, Brandon, we love you guys so much. We pray for you and are delighted to be connected with you in this way. Open your Bibles, everyone, to the book of Philippians. New Testament, small letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi when he was in prison in Rome. We've been going pretty much verse by verse, but I'm going to skip a section because I have preached chapter 3, verse 1 through 16 in the last 12 months. So we're going to pick up today in chapter 3, verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 is where we're going to begin today. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which I like because it makes the meaning of what Paul's trying to say uh, usually very, very clear for people, and that's why I, I, I tend to use this translation. One of the things, though, that the clarity of the translation will lose today is the way Paul keeps repeating the same word, and the word is walk. Now, again, it doesn't appear in the New Living Translation, but the Greek word is peripateo, and it's the word that Paul is using over and over and over in, in these verses. It's the word for to walk or, or to walk around. He's using it in the same sense that we might use it when we say you, gotta, you can't just talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. He's using the word walk in that way as, as a means of describing how you can tell who a person really is by watching their lives, by the way they walk around. And so uh, pay attention to the way Paul uses that kind of language as we pick up in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Listen, listen to what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Imitate me, he says, and learn from those who walk in this way. Learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who walk, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They walk as enemies of the cross, okay? Verse 19, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their God is their belly, is what he says. Their God is their belly. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Okay, let's dig into this. Paul uh, is using the language of walking, and essentially he says that there are two ways to walk. You can know about two different types of people by paying attention to the way that they walk. Now, Matt Betts, he's a, a new addition to our staff, relatively new. One of the things I found out that Matt does well is imitate people. Now, nobody you know, but in the church he just came from, Matt apparently learned to imitate the walk of every staff member. He did this for me the other day walking into the hospital. So be careful when you're in public with Matt. He, he, can, uh, he, he can do things to surprise you. But anyway, I've asked Matt to demonstrate these gifts of his. Uh, he will come. He's going to show you the, the walks of different people he was on staff with. You can learn a lot about a person by the way they walk. Okay, here you go. Let me get out of your way. 
I'm still trying to figure out our staff a little bit, but I did want to show you some of the walks. Now, our assistant pastor, he was a, a bigger guy. At least he thought he was a bigger guy, so he walked like a bulldog, okay? So I would always walk behind him at certain times in church and just kind of make fun of him, but he would walk, he'd walk like this all the time. He'd, he'd kind of walk <laughs> around like this, and his name was Gene. So that, that was our assistant pastor. Now, our pastor, we called him the little rooster. Um, and when he would go to the hospital and things, this is the reason the conversation came up, because when he'd go to the hospital, he would just walk through areas that you're not supposed to walk through, and uh, he would say, just act like you know what you're doing. So he would walk like this. <laughs> and, and he acted like he's not easy. He'd walk real fast. He'd throw that <laughs> arm back, and everybody would just let him go on by. But my favorite was our music guy, which usually is the favorite of, of the church to, to imitate. Uh, and he was a type A personality. He would get so mad when, when I would imitate him. And I would just kind of walk behind him because he walked like this. <laughs> and he'd turn around and I'd be walking right behind him like this. <laughs> he'd be like, what are you doing? What, what, what are you thinking? Now, I'm, like I said, I'm still trying to figure out our staff. So that is to be continued. But I'd, I do want to kind of do something. Y'all just kind of. So I've got this part. Can y'all figure out who this is? Uh, <laughs> it's good to have y'all here, church today. <laughs> uh, my name is. just been announced there will be a meeting of the pastor and the, <laughs> the personnel committee and, uh, and the youth minister. No, yeah, we are doing staff evaluations this week. Why would he do that today? <laughs> um, anyway, when Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, imitate me, he obviously did not have Matt Betts on his staff. He, he wasn't thinking about that. Two ways of walking. You can learn something about a person by watching the way they walk. That's what Paul is trying to say. Dear brothers and sisters, the first way to walk, pattern your lives after mine. Imitate me, he says, and then learn from everybody else who walks this way. So the first way to walk for Paul is to imitate me. Now, why would he say that? Why would Paul say that the best way to walk, the, 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 the first way to walk, is to walk the way I walk and then go ahead and learn from other people who walk the way I, I walk? Is Paul trying to lift himself up somehow as the example? Because it sounds prideful. I don't know if any of us, I would not tell people, just stand in the pulpit and say, listen, imitate me. Do what, do what I do. Walk the way I, I walk. I, I would, not, would not do that. But Paul does. And he does it with some frequency. Go back in your Bibles, just a couple of pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Verse 1. Now again, if you're looking at New Living Translation, verse 1 is kind of up with chapter 10. So I have to jump up above the number to read chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ, okay? 
Paul says this sort of thing frequently, and so obviously, even when he preaches live, apparently, Paul is, is going to say this kind of thing, and everybody seems to understand what he means by it. And 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1 is where he elaborates just a bit. Now, in Philippians, he just says, imitate me, walk as I walk. But in Corinthians, he elaborates a bit, and it's a conditional sort of statement. It's a conditional sort of exhortation. He says, imitate me as, as I imitate Christ. So understand, Paul is not lifting himself up as the example. Paul is not saying, I- I'm the man, I- I'm the example, I'm the model, I'm the one you pattern your life after. Paul's not saying that. Paul never really means that. What Paul says is, you imitate me as I, or or insofar as I, imitate Christ. You understand the distinction there? He's not the example. He doesn't think that he's the example. He just simply wants to point toward Christ with his life. He does it with his life. A few weeks ago, I was, I was counseling with the woman in a restaurant in Bowling Green, actually, and she was very hysterical. She was very emotional, and it would break your heart to, to hear her cry and to hear her talk about her life. And one of the things I was saying to her is, is you need to trust Jesus. You need to lean upon the Lord. You need to learn to know him, and you need to love him, and you need to feel his presence in your life. You need to look to Jesus, I was saying. And this woman began to cry harder. She just cried harder and harder, and she said, but I can't see him. But I can't see him. I want somebody that I can see. I want somebody that I can know. I want somebody who can be with me. Heartbreaking, but have you ever felt like her? Do you know what she's saying? Now, she wasn't saying that she doesn't believe that Jesus is with her. She knows that Jesus is with her. And she wasn't saying that she didn't understand what I was saying. She did understand what I was saying. But I understand what she's saying too. Sometimes it's very difficult to know and trust and imitate a Jesus that you just can't see with your eyes. And so Paul says, I'm imitating Christ with my life. And like any good teacher, Paul just says, so so watch me. Watch me. I'm showing you how to do it, Paul's saying. Again, not lifting himself up is the example. We're not imitating Paul. We're not imitating any preacher. We're not imitating any human being. But if you have in your lives some some people for whom Christ is, is truly Lord, and if you have in your life people who love Jesus and really try to walk by his command, people who truly are like Jesus at work and at school, if they truly walk like Christ walked, then you can learn something by watching them. You can learn to walk in the same sort of manner that they walk. You can fall in line with all of the people who are walking with Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. It's the first way to walk. It is the way we're supposed to walk as Christians. We're supposed to walk like Christ would walk. Live like Christ would live. And Paul says in that regard, watch me, look at me. This is what I'm trying to do. He gives them an example that they can see with their eyes. You you can look at me, he says. This is what I'm doing. You understand? He's not the example. Christ is the example. But there's a second way to walk that Paul talks about here. And this is the one I really want you to think about because this this is a little deeper than you think it is. 
I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Let's talk about Paul the preacher for a moment. I say it again with tears in my eyes. Now, Paul is about to blister some people. He is about to say some very harsh things about people who are in this church. He's about to blister some people, but notice how he says these harsh words. He says, I'm going to say this. You've heard me say it again. I'm going to say it one more time with tears in my eyes. Honestly, I have seen a lot of preachers, and they seem to take some sort of pleasure in just scalding people with the truth. There are people who just love to preach, and when they preach, they just love to peel the skin right off your body. I mean, they seem not to have any hesitation to preach hard things and just rip people to pieces with the Word of God. And understand, Paul is going to say some very difficult things here, but the strength of his conviction is absolutely matched by the power of his compassion. It brings him no pleasure to say what he's about to say, but somebody's got to say it. And it breaks his heart to say it. Notice what he says. I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they really walk as enemies of the cross. Again, two ways to walk. You can walk as Jesus walked, you can walk after the example of Jesus and Paul, or you can walk as an enemy of the cross. Now when I hear that phrase, enemy of the cross, that sounds like Paul is describing some bad dudes. Enemy of the cross, that is a very powerful, very powerful title. And I can hardly imagine who he could be describing by calling them enemies of the cross. These must be some really, really bad people. And the world is filled with some really bad people. Surely you know this. A couple of years ago, uh, Osama bin Laden was still alive, actually. And he had one of his deputies release one of those videos where they denounce the, the United States and denounce the West and continue to encourage Muslims to, to take up arms and fight. And this was one of those videos where one of Osama bin Laden's deputies for Al-Qaeda was calling Muslims to take up arms and fight. But the phrase that he used at that time, the phrase that the Al-Qaeda deputy used on his videotape for the world, he invited Muslims to take up arms and he said, we're going to fight against the cross. That's what he said. We're going to fight against the cross and then against the Jews, he said. Because the cross is, he called it, a malignant illness, a cancer. That The cross, the people of the cross, are a cancer in the world. And we must fight to eradicate them. Okay, when I hear the phrase enemy of the cross, I, I, think, I think something like that. I, I think Al-Qaeda. I think about Osama bin Laden, I think about his deputies, I think about that man speaking into the camera for the whole world and asking people to take up weapons, take up bombs, and fight against the cross. He said, we're going to fight against the cross. Now that, to me, is sobering and somewhat frightening to think that there are people in the world who purposefully and publicly make themselves enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. The world has those people. But, but please, make no mistake, the world had those people when Paul was walking around too. Remember, Paul is under arrest in Rome. Paul has been taken uh, into custody for preaching the cross of Christ. 
And Paul is writing this letter on the night before. He doesn't know he could be executed in the morning. And indeed, Paul is going to lose his life. Paul is going to have his head chopped off by the Roman Empire for preaching the cross of Christ. So we have blatant, public, violent enemies of the cross in our day, and Paul had blatant, public, violent enemies of the cross in his day. But don't you miss the fact that when Paul says some people walk around, some people walk as enemies of the cross, he's not talking about the Roman Empire. He's not talking about his jailers. He's not even talking about the emperor who's going to cut off his head in some point in the future. He's not talking about them. And when you read this passage and you try to figure out what Paul's talking about, he's not talking about Al-Qaeda for us. This is not who this scripture is describing. We're not talking about people out there who are enemies of the cross. It is news to nobody that the world stands in enmity against the cross. That's news to nobody. So what Paul is talking about here are enemies of the cross inside the church. Now this is where you don't expect to find enemies of the cross. And this is why Paul says when I have to talk about this, it brings tears to my eyes. It breaks my heart that there are enemies of the cross inside the church. Inside the church at Philippi, and I promise you, inside the church at Woodburn. I promise you, inside the church at Woodburn. There are many whose conduct, you notice that? Whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross, Paul says. Notice it's the conduct, it's it's the way they walk. It's not necessarily the way they talk. That's always the puzzle when you come to church because once we get into this place and once the lights come up and once someone begins to tell you what to sing and once we put the words in your mouth, everybody in this house talks like a Christian. Whether you are or not, you have sang songs this morning that that put words in your mouth that, that made you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Uh, Earlier we sang a a beautiful, beautiful song, and you sang the words, Jesus commands my destiny. That's the strongest confession of Jesus' lordship that we could put in your mouth, and we put it right in your mouth, and you sang the words, Jesus commands my destiny. But see, that's just talk. That's just what you said when somebody was waving his arm and getting you to say those words. You see, it's pretty easy to get people to talk like Christians in church. And honestly, your conduct in church is usually pretty good. Not all of you. But typically in church, your conduct is is pretty good. But Paul's not talking about in church. You understand, the, the real measure of your life as a Christian is not your church life. It's your life life. That sounds dumb, I know, but I don't know how to say it any better. The best way to measure, to look at your life as a Christian, your life of faith, it's not how you act in church. It's not how involved you are at church. It's not how you treat the church people, you understand? It's not your your church life, it's your life life. And Paul says that there are people whose life life reveals, it reveals that they are enemies of the cross, 
enemies of the cross. Notice that for Paul, he doesn't even carve out neutral ground. He doesn't even carve out a place for just bad Christians. You know, and that's what I would do. I would sort of have this gradation, and I'd say there's some really good Christians, and, and they walk like Christ, and you can learn by watching them. And there are some really you know, just bad Christians, and, and we pray for them. And, and, and my goodness, we just keep hoping they'll get on board. But, but you know, there are really good Christians and just some bad Christians. But Paul doesn't do that. And honestly, in Scripture, nowhere is there a, a neutral category carved out for just, you know, Christians, but, you know, just kind of sorry Christians. There's really not that kind of neutral territory in, in Scripture. It says there are two ways to walk. You, you walk after Christ, in the example of Christ, or you walk as an enemy, an enemy of the cross. L look with me. Look at verse 19. It describes what an enemy of the cross is like. This is the part that ought to worry you. They are headed for destruction. Really? People inside the church headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Again, the word Paul uses belly. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? They just like to eat all the time? Perhaps, but... But if that's all it took, we'd all be enemies in this house. I mean, we all like to eat. It's not just about eating food. What Paul is talking about are, are appetites. Your God is your belly. That means that for you, your God, what you worship are your own desires, your own appetites. In other words, you want what you want. But Paul goes so far to say your God, your God, your God is your belly. In other words, your God, what you put above everything else is what you want. You want what you want, and that is truly what you worship, your desires. You want what you want. You're going to do what feels good to you. You're going to make every decision because this is your God, understand? This is your highest, most ultimate commitment. It's to yourself. Your God is your belly. Your God is your appetite, so you make every decision just based on how does it affect you. How's it going to feel to you? Is this going to light me up? Is this going to make me happy? Is this going to feel good to me physically? Is this going to get me where I want to be sexually? I mean, your God is your appetite. He goes on. God is your appetite. They brag about shameful things. That's interesting. Paul is saying that there are people who actually brag, that they take pride in things that they ought to be ashamed of. There are people who take pride. We're talking about Individuals who claim to be Christians, they actually take pride in things they ought to be ashamed of. You think, Brother Tim, can you give me any examples of that? I sure can. Let's just go to your Facebook page. Just take a look at, at people's Facebook pages, those who claim to be Christians. It's just amazing on a given day what some people who claim to be Christians will click like on. You understand? When you click like, that sort of like bragging but we're often bragging about shameful things. What you're posting, what you're celebrating, what you're taking pride in is actually something you ought to hide your face in shame over. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. This is what Paul says. But these are individuals who claim to be Christians who just have no shame. They have no sense of shame. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Think only about this life 
here on earth. Well, what else is there to think about? Some of you would honestly wonder, what else is there to think about? You don't understand. This life here on earth is so short. It is so painfully short. But eternity is long. Understand? Eternity is long. And you were not created simply for your 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years on earth. Do you understand? You were created for eternity. And so truly, the way a Christian lives her life, the way a Christian lives his life, is not just to think about how, how this present life is affected, but to really begin to, to make important the things that will be important for all eternity. That's why it matters whether or not your friends at school know Jesus as Lord and Savior because, because accepting him as Savior in this life is going to matter for the eternal life to come. Do you understand that? That's why the decisions you make about who you'll serve in this life, about what's going to be ultimately important, those decisions you're making are going to affect your e eternity. So sometimes as a Christian, the choice I will make may actually increase my suffering in this life. The choices I make in order to honor Christ might actually make me lose friends in this life. Or it may affect the person that I date. It certainly may affect the friends that I have. But understand, I'll make choices that might increase the difficulty of this present life because I know that there is an eternal life to come. That's just how Christians think. But, but Paul says in, in this world and in the church, there are people who are enemies of the cross because all they think about is their own selves, all they care about is this present life, and they have no sense of shame. They walk like heathens. That, that, that's what Paul says. But, but it's not just there in Paul. Turn back to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4. Just a few pages. James 4, verse 4. You ever tried to say something to somebody and you feel like this is so obvious? This is so obvious. When I say this, you're going to think that I'm talking to you like you're dumb. And this is the kind of verse you have here in James chapter 4, verse 4. You shouldn't even have to say this. Everybody ought to understand this. And that's why he says, don't you realize, James 4, verse 4, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God, I'll say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You see what I've been trying to explain about there not being any neutral territory? I mean, either God is going to be the Lord of your life or he's not, but, but he can't be halfway Lord. You understand? Jesus can't be halfway uh, the Lord of your life. He, he can't be just commanding you on certain days of the week. That, that's not the Christian life. There really is no middle ground here. It's not as if you can just be a, a bad Christian. Either Jesus is Lord and either he commands your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes, or he does not. But if your real desire is to be friends with the world, if your real desire is to blend in down here and have friends down here, then, then this is what James says. Friendship with the world is enmity. It is to make yourself an enemy of God. One more verse. John chapter 15, verse 14. This is a short verse. I challenge you to memorize it before this sermon is over, and you can do it. 
Memorize this verse before the sermon is over. I'll preach a long time to make it easy. I'm kidding. Just, just, just memorize this. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Say it after me. You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command. You are my friends. Jesus is speaking. These are red letters. You are my friends if you do what I command. There are some who live as enemies of the cross, Paul says. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So it follows. If you're not going to obey Jesus with your life, if you're not going to walk after his example, then you have made yourself an enemy, an enemy of the cross. But Paul goes on, verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. I love this. Now, when he says this to, to the people at Philippi, this is kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of dangerous words because Philippi is an interesting place. And now, just speaking historically about the real city, the real town of Philippi, where this church is, where, where Paul is writing, these are real live people in, in a real live political situation. Philippi is a Roman colony. It's, it's a colony. What is a colony? Remember, the United States started with, was it 13 colonies? And what were those colonies? They were sort of outposts of England. So a colony is a place where it, it, it's in another territory. In this case, it's in Greek territory. But it's a Roman colony. It was set up as a Roman colony after a gigantic war where you had all of these victorious soldiers who needed to retire, and the emperor just simply gave them land in and around Philippi. So Philippi was set aside as a Roman colony for veterans, for, for military heroes. Now we're talking a century later by the time Paul's writing to the church. So what you have now is a Roman colony in Greek territory, and a good part of the population are literally citizens of Rome. And they love Rome. They want life in Philippi to be exactly like life in Rome. They want to get all the same fall TV shows that are coming out in Rome, and they want them this September, you understand? They want everything in Rome to be just like it is in Philippi. They want to bring Roman life always to, to Philippi. They want to dress like Romans. They want to worship the emperor the way everyone else does in the Roman Empire. You understand? They are Roman citizens. Now, the rest of the population of Philippi, they are not Roman citizens, and they resent those Roman elites who continue to want to press Roman culture in every single corner of Philippian life. So understand, Paul knows what he's doing here when he says, we're citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Now, he's talking about the church. So understand what he's saying here in the context of, of the Philippians. What Paul is saying is that the church is like a colony of heaven. You understand? The church is like a colony of heaven. And we are citizens of heaven. Now this is not heavenly territory. I'm not saying that. But we're citizens of, of, of heaven. And the church itself is a colony. We've been sent to colonize the earth with the things of heaven. That means that the church's responsibility, our responsibility is to bring all the things of heaven to bear upon our lives here on earth. We're citizens of heaven. Back in, back in high school, I had a friend who, who, 
who read Vogue magazine. Is there still Vogue magazine? I, I don't know. Y'all don't either, but that's because this is Woodburn. We don't know. Uh, my friend used to read Vogue magazine. She'd always have the new one, and she carried it around like a Bible. I mean, she didn't want it wrinkled. She wouldn't, like, roll the pages back. She'd open it, you know, like angels were singing, and she would look at all the fashion from, from New York. She just loved Vogue magazine. One day in class, uh, she came walking, and she had on gold ballet slippers, just gold ballet slippers. And again, to remind you guys, I'm from Woodburn, uh, from Matlock. And so when I saw her in her gold ballet shoes, I said, them your house shoes? You know, because they look like house shoes. I said, them your house shoes? She said, they most certainly are not house shoes. These are gold ballet slippers. I said, you taking ballet? She said, no, I'm not taking ballet. This is what all the women in New York are wearing now. I said the next, again, y'all are from Woodburn too. What's the next thing I say? It's ain't New York. It's ain't New York. She said, no, this is not New York. But what you don't understand is that if you want to know what we'll be wearing in Bowling Green in five years, you look at New York. Because what they're wearing now, we'll all be wearing in five years. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, if Bowling Green's five years behind, how far behind is Woodburn? Because we still got women who have foxy lady on the back of their belts. I mean, you know, we are way, way, way behind in, in Woodburn. But she's saying if you want to know what, what it's going to be like here in five years, you look at New York now. You're saying, it's the same kind of thing that Paul is saying here. We are citizens of heaven. So in other words, if you want to know what the whole world is going to look like one day, you should be able to look at the church now. Look what he says. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, I have a feeling where some of your minds go right there. When you get to that verse and it says, we're citizens of heaven and we're waiting for him to return, you're thinking that he's going to come and get us and take us to heaven. Okay, That's not exactly what the Bible teaches. That's the way a lot of us have been trained to think. But that's not exactly what the Bible teaches. Go back. Reread the book of Revelation. Really read the book of Revelation. Don't read a book about it. Read the book of Revelation. And it makes very clear that when Jesus returns, it's not that we're all going to get whisked off and go live somewhere else in heaven. He comes down and he makes everything new. Jesus comes. The city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, comes down from heaven to the earth. And that he makes everything new. And we will live for eternity on a new earth. I mean, read the Bible. So when Paul says, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. What he's saying is our Savior is going to come, and he's going to clean this mess up. He's going to come and clean this entire mess up. He's going to make everything brand new. He will punish all of the wicked. He will reward all of the righteous, and he will set up his kingdom on the new earth. He will take our weak mortal bodies, change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Understand? His great power to change our bodies, bring everything on earth under his control. See, see, we're already citizens of that. 
we're already a, a colony, you might say, of, of that new age, that, that the colony of, of heaven that Jesus is going to bring to earth one day. So truly, we're not at home here. We're not at home in the world. And, and you shouldn't feel at home, and you shouldn't necessarily want to be at home here. We're citizens of, of heaven. When I say we, I'm sort of using that as a very broad term. I don't know for sure if all of us in this house are, are citizens of heaven. My hunches were not. I'm really not one to be the judge between who is and who isn't, but I can tell you one thing. If you're really wondering whether you are or whether you aren't, the truth probably comes out in your life every day. It probably comes out in, in the way you walk. I mean, honestly, either you are walking in obedience to Christ every day or you're not. And Paul says with tears in his eyes, if, if Christ is not in command of your life, if you're not walking after him, you have made yourself an enemy of Christ. You could be sitting in church right now, an enemy of the cross. Let's stop and pray. Jesus, none of us, none of us would think of ourselves that way. We know that there are others who just seem more religious, Lord, than we are, but we've never, we've never thought of ourselves as your enemy, Lord. Jesus, I pray that, that you would begin to show us what, what true faith and friendship with God looks like. Jesus, help us to know that the only way to be called your friend is to love you, follow you, and obey your commands. Lord Jesus, right now in this house, you're speaking to us. We know what you want us to do. Some of us, Lord, would say that we don't hear your voice, that we never hear you speak. But every one of us sitting here, Lord, we have a sense of right and wrong. And we know the right next step for us, Lord. But we just often choose not to do right. And when we reject the right that you ask us to do, Lord, that is that is to walk in disobedience. It's to make ourselves your enemy. Jesus, I pray that you would make us uh, a house full of friends. Teach us, Lord, to know you and love you and follow you and to put ourselves under your command. Help us, Lord, to think less about our church life and help us, Lord, to have you become the Lord of our life, life. All week long, every day, everywhere we go. We want to walk after your example. Lord Jesus, some of us in this house are surely hypocrites. Surely, Lord, some of us in this house, Lord, we have backslidden, we have drifted far away from you, and Lord, some of us in this house are definitely enemies of the cross. But Lord, by the grace of Jesus, by the cross of Christ, Lord, we know that you have come to take every enemy and turn her into a friend. So Lord, by your grace, by your forgiveness, by your mercy today, Lord, I pray that every enemy of yours in this house, in this nation, in this world, Lord, that every enemy would bow at the sound of your name. And Lord, by your grace and mercy, all your enemies would become your friends.
pray these things for the sake of the church, for the hope of the world, in the name of Jesus. Amen.